0: hello people all over the world listening to this podcast right here this podcast right here you're listening to this podcast (laughs) not anything else anyways welcome to the western reviews podcast and by the way not strictly for westerns if you're not new to the podcast, welcome back. I'm the host of this void, the Western Wonder, and I'm here to tell you that uh, we've made it to December, aka the end of one of the most rockiest years in recent memory. To start off the month, I won't be reviewing a holiday movie. Well, it may be considered as such given the film's original release being dangerously close to a Christmas date. There ain't nothing like a holiday mystery throwdown, <laughs> right? right? Anyways, today's film being reviewed is that of a film adaptation based on a classic board game. That's right, Clue, ladies and gentlemen. Warning ahead of the review, spoilers are endlessly featured in this review. You should probably check out the movie at your local Telegram box and then come back here, or you can continue listening onwards. The choice is yours, but you've been warned. Without further ado, let's get right into the review. Flashback to the 40s when a mystery board game was created. It was called Cluedo, or simply Clue in the US, and the objective of the game is basically a whodunit case. It'll be explained as I review the film. Anyways, Clue or Cluedo would spawn a franchise of various recreations of the game on film, television, theater, and literature. Flash forward to the 80s when the film script was being worked on. John Landis, yes, that John Landis, who were going to write most of the film's script but would be unavailable to direct the movie, who was joined by Steven Sondheim and Anthony Perkins at some point during that production, were names that floated around Crew's script. The script was finally completed by Jonathan Lynn, who go going to work on My Cousin Vinny in 1992. However, most of his other works haven't been very well received. From Sergeant Bilko to The Distinguished Gentleman, ironic given that both of those films in their leads, Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy, also worked with John Landis, Clue is definitely one of the better received films that he directed. The film was produced by Deborah Hill who worked on the films Halloween and Escape from New York and the score was done by John Morris who frequently did work on films featuring performances or behind the scenes work from Mel Brooks and or Gene Wilder. Clue would eventually be released December 13th, 1985, hence making this reveal feel like sort of an early 35th anniversary review of sorts, and to be honest, it wasn't a critic or audience darling when it was first released and received mixed reviews, and the film only made $14.6 million of its $15 million budget at the box office. But, but hey, on the bright side, the film was lucky enough to receive a strong cult following. With some of this trivia in mind, let's get to the synopsis. Once again, I warn you everybody out there, spoilers are coming. Spoilers are coming. Alright, let's get right into it. After the film opens with cloudy skies during a dark mysterious night in New England, circa 1950s, a mysterious man sporting a fedora drives up to a mansion and menacingly begins his walk up to the front entrance. Well until he's stopped dead in his tracks by two guard dogs. However, he has a distraction, code for Dog Tree, to keep them busy as he enters the home, taking a load of dog crap he accidentally stepped on with him. The dog's face when this dude realizes his crap shoe was priceless. <laughs> hey, what are you looking at? Perhaps you should have looked at where you were going, sir. The man who enters takes off his belongings, revealing a butler esque outfit, and enters the dining hall where a maid, with visible dancing ratatas, appears to be cleaning up. He gets confirmation from her that she understands her role in whatever is about to happen, and he leaves the room. He then goes to the kitchen where the chef appears to be fixing up some grub. He gets a more straightforward answer from the chef with a knife to his neck. Gee, this guy's already pushing his limits around here and it hasn't even been five minutes. At this point, it's obvious that this must be a party of some kind. Then, a guest appears. For this party, all of the guests are to be addressed by a pseudonym and not their actual names. Pretty faithful to the original board game so far. The first guest is Colonel Mustard, played by Martin Mull. The butler's fake name is also revealed to be Wadsworth, played by Tim Curry. Wadsworth takes Mustard to the diner hall with the maid as the doorbell rings again. The second guest, Mrs. White, played by Madeline Kahn, arrives and joins Colonel Mustard and the maid who goes by the name of Yvette in the dining room hall. Mrs. White seems to turn a cold shoulder on the maid as she breezes past her. We immediately cut to a woman who's having car trouble in the middle of a street, and a peculiar fellow picks her up and takes them to their destination, the same location of the mansion where this party will be held. Meanwhile, the third and fourth guest, Mrs. Peacock, played by Eileen Brennan, and Mr. Green, played by Michael McKean, arrives. The final two guests riding together in the car go by the fake names of Miss Scarlet, played by Leslie Ann Warren, and Professor Plum played by Christopher Lloyd, who I swear I've seen him play another role in another blockbuster flick earlier that year. I just can't put my finger on it right now. Maybe later. As sort of awkward introduction from Wiseworth seems to commence, he's interrupted by the chef who announces that dinner is ready. After dinner is served to everyone, conversation between any of the guests at first is minimal until Mrs. Peacock breaks and starts a conversation. Well, someone's got to break the ice and it might as well be me. I mean, I'm used to being a hostess. It's part of my husband's work and it's always difficult when a group of new friends meet together for the first time to get acquainted, so I'm perfectly prepared to start the ball rolling. I mean, I I have absolutely no idea what we're doing here, or what I'm doing here, or what this place is about, but I am determined to enjoy myself and I'm very intrigued and oh my, this soup's delicious, isn't it? Okay, so not exactly how she was expecting it, but not far off the apple tree. Then the guests gradually start to get to know each other further through their good and very bad flaws. Most, if not all, the male guests work or are associated with government or educational groups. Professor Plum has been on a fire for it with female students. Mrs. White's husband is actually dead. Mrs. Peacock helped her husband steal an election. No, but seriously, she, she really did help her husband steal an election. What's up with that? There's plenty of other crazy things to digest in the scene here. But eventually, The seventh guest, or the host, arrives. The quote-unquote host of this party goes by the alias of Mr. Body, who's played by Lee Ving. we only know for funding a punk rock group who was on the list of the most infamous sets on Saturday Night Live, but the musician's and actor's connection does not stop here for this movie, folks. Stay tuned. Wadsworth claims that Mr. Body is blackmailing all of the guests and himself, which switches the mood of Mr. Body very quickly. He definitely makes it obvious that he does not want to be at this party anymore and refuses to stay in the same room as Wadsworth. He even attempts escaping at one point, but no avail as the clever butler has taken maximum security around the house, including angry guard dogs on standby. He gives up on escaping and proceeds to bring a suitcase out to the study hall. And upon opening it, the case is filled with mysterious presents in a black box and a purple tie. Mr. Body passes it around to his fellow guests and asks for them to open it. Each of the guests have a different, uh, um gift. Yeah, yeah, a gift. Miss Scarlet was given a candlestick. Mrs. White was given a rope. Mr. Green was given a lead pipe. Colonel Mustard was given a wrench. Professor Plum was given a revolver, and Mrs. Peacock was given a dagger. Now, please remember this lineup as time goes on because things are going to get pretty shaky down the road. Now, back to Mr. Body. He gives the guests an ultimatum either kill Wadsworth and everyone walks off without any lawsuits or further blackmail attempts, or denounce or kill him and everyone will suffer consequences as a result. Quick interjection here. Even though the character's performance of Mr. Body here was just mad at me since most of the time he's just sitting there with that same smoke on his face, I thought it was clever to use his own words over my dead body when he mentioned the keys to the front door of the mansion being in his possession. Now before anyone makes the move, Mr. Body cuts the lights off for a nice game of dark cat and mouse. And then... Boom. Psh, bang, bang, bang. Psh, the lights are cut back on moments later by Mrs. Peacock and Welp, Mr. Body's body is on the ground. He appears to be dead but has no visible wounds on his body. Professor Plum theorizes that he was probably poisoned. He says as Mrs. Peacock takes a drink and immediately loses it after hearing that theory. It only takes Mr. Green's Ike T backhand to calm her down. A scream is heard and the guests run to the room where the scream was heard. It was Yvette who was frightened by all the happenings that are being tape recorded. Wadsworth then takes center stage to let everyone know that it was he who invited them to the home. I was a victim too. At least my wife was. She had friends who were socialists. Oh my god. After his wife committed death by suicide, Wadsworth was motivated to band all the black belt guests together to confront Mr. Body so he can confess about his wrongdoings and therefore have him incarcerated. Obviously, that didn't go to plan as Mr. Body is dead and no one knows who killed him yet. Not to mention that Wadsworth had already called the police a while ago, which pushes the investigation to a frenzied mess. After going through the usual I didn't do it isms, they realized that the only other person in the house with them, who they haven't heard from in a while by the way, was the cook. Everyone piles into to the kitchen, but the cook isn't there. Hmm… No. She's not here. <laughs> oh, oh, Well, oh, she's dead. I didn't do it. There is something different about the cook's death than Mr. Body's death. There is an actual visible wound that shows that she was killed with a dagger. Who was given the dagger earlier? Mrs. Peacock. However, she says that she placed the dagger down back in the hall. So someone had to have taken it with them. Everyone returns to the hall as Colonel Mustard finds a piece of evidence that looks to be against them and another scream is heard. This time, it's Mrs. Peacock, who discovers Mr. Body's body, now with visible wounds. Wiseworth loudly reminds us the purpose of finding out the killer, a la the board Games. That's what we're trying to find out! We're trying to find out who killed him, and where, and with what! There's no need to shout! I'm not shouting! Alright, I am! I'm shouting! I'm As shouting. the candlestick I'm hiding above a closet entrance knocks him out. As he hides the evidence, a motorist who's stranded on the road arrives, setting the guest off guard at first. After Wadsworth leaves the motorist in another room with a phone, the guests demand that he gets rid of the key to the location containing the weapons. After Colonel Mustard and Wadsworth have a back and forth about whether there are any other guests around the house, the Colonel proposes that everyone split up in pairs to search the premises for any surprising trespassers. Wadsworth is paired with Mrs. White, Colonel Mustard is paired with Miss Scarlet, Mr. Green is paired with Yvette, and Professor Plum is paired with Mrs. Peacock. The search seems to go down well, even though everybody else is just about scared as the other, until the motorist was discovered to have been killed with a wrench by Miss Scarlet and Colonel Mustard. And to make matters worse on their hands, they're locked in. Slapstick ensues, but the door is eventually opened by a vet wielding the revolver. After the two are calmed down, the doorbell rings once again. At this stage, everyone's afraid for their lives, but it's only a police officer who's investigating the motorist vehicle outside, also asking for a phone. Wadsworth also follows this trend of locking in the guest. (laughs) Nothing strange there, right? However, the police is the only new guest thus far to actually get the door unlocked by Wadsworth, who has a call from the FBI on line one. While he takes the call, the cop demands an explanation of what's going on, and the guests splutter about creating a scene where everyone, excluding Mr. Green and including the dead bodies as plus ones, are all romantic and lovey-dovey. The cop sees no problem in the scenery, which causes a misunderstanding on Wadsworth's end due to him being on the phone during all this, because after all, this is only America, a free country, right? Right. The cop asks to re-enter the room to make a phone call, and Wadsworth complies as the other guests resume their split up investigations. Things get worse the second time around as the electricity is shut off. During the electric shuffle, Yvette is killed with a rope, the cop is killed with a lead pipe, and a singing telegram girl, a cameo from Gogo's guitarist Jane Wheatland, is shot by the revolver. More slapstick ensues with table bumping, evil jack in the box clowns, and running into a shower but the electricity is turned back on shortly after. The guests identify all of the newly dead bodies as while we're finally pieces together who done it. He breaks down all of the events of the movie thus far which is nothing but hilarious to see this guy running around speeding up his dialogue and assuming with that everyone is keeping up. To shorten what he's saying as the explanation goes on for a while. Is that the people murdered were connected to Mr. Body as they had top secret information about each of the guests. A pesky evangelist quickly interrupts Wadsworth's explanation but he's warded off by Mrs. Peacock. This is where the conclusion gets interesting. Now the movie doesn't have one ending but three and it's up to the audience. There were originally four endings so I'll briefly mention the fourth ending and its purpose after the other three are my personal favorite. Starting off with ending number one. Miss Scarlet was the main culprit, who ordered Yvette to kill the cook and Mr. Body, and Scarlet herself killed the cop and Yvette, after a misunderstanding about the amount of bullets. There are no more bullets left in that gun. Oh, come on, you don't going to fall for that old trick. It's not a trick. There was one shot of Mr. Body in the study, two for the chandelier, two at the lounge door, and one for the singing telegram. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. Uh-uh. There was only one shot that got the chandelier. That's one plus two plus one plus one. Even if you were right, that would be one plus one plus two plus one, not one plus two plus one plus one. Okay, fine. One plus two plus one. Shut Miss Scarlett is arrested by that evangelist from earlier who was actually a cover up chief for the FBI. Wadsworth, don't hate me for trying to shoot you. Frankly, Scarlett, I didn't give a damn. As I was trying to tell you, there are no bullets left in this gun, you see? <laughs> then there's ending number two. Mrs. Peacock is the culprit who killed all of the victims to get rid of anyone who knows about her election rigging history or any other unprofessional deeds for that matter. Wadsworth suggests that everyone hides the evidence and leaves the mansion as if nothing ever happened. Mrs. Peacock agrees with this and as she departs the premises, the chief remaining one stops her dead in her tracks and arrests her. Wadsworth also reveals that he works for the ship. You see, like the Montes. We always get our man. Mrs. Peacock was a man? (coughs) Would anyone care for fruit or dessert? Was actually redubbed because in the original cut she was actually shot and killed by the chief. But it was considered too dark so we got this. And finally, the final ending. Well, ending number three. the, The ending that actually made the cut. Everyone, well most of the guests, are the culprits. Professor Plum killed Mr. Body, Mrs. Peacock killed the cook, Colonel Mustard killed the motorist, Mrs. White killed Yvette, and her reaction to her being caught was hilariously ad by Madeline Kahn. Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much it, it, the, it flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing breath And Mrs. Scarlet impressed with Wadsworth's stunning Perry Masonisms, killed the cop. That leaves one guest, Mr. Green, who was immediately suspected for killing the singing telegram girl. While the first two endings show Wadsworth as the undercover agent, there's a twist this time. He's the killer, and Mr. Green is the undercover agent. On top of that, Wadsworth actually ended up being the real Mr. Body in this story. So the man that Professor Plum killed was his butler with a different name. Wads uh, I mean Mr. Body is shot by Mr. Green and the feds left by the Chief from the other endings comes in to arrest the guests. And we seem to end off on a- Okay Chief, take him away. I'm gonna go home and sleep with my wife. Oh, Oh yes, and Mr. Green was using his sexuality of being a gay man as a cover up from earlier. I know the third ending may be favored to some because Tim Curry is gonna Tim Curry, but the second ending with Mrs. Peacock's brilliant character transformation from innocent to plain evil seemed the most realistic of endings as both the first and third endings may have inaccurate facts thrown in there about the victims and the killers. Then there's that fourth ending I said I was going to mention that didn't make the cut in the film. In this ending, Wadsworth committed all the murders because he was going bonkers. On top of that, all of the guests drinks, except Mr. Green's because if I recall from earlier, he rejected any drinks, were laced with poison and therefore everyone who drank alcohol is going to die soon. Wadsworth leaves and as he gets in the vehicle, he's mauled by those guard dogs from earlier. Due to his dark nature, the ending was cut, but it explains why he wasn't with the other guests in earlier scenes. There was another experimental ending concept early on where there were more endings where, in each ending, each guest had killed all the victims. But due to not feeling repetitive alongside time constraints, it was revised. And that's the movie, folks. Now, on to my final thoughts. The movie is filled with non stop hilarity. It's just it's absolutely funny. Starting off with the scenery the mansion looks very homey and comfy, and this is a perfect setting for a story like this. Then there's the music. There's a nice balance of cookie numbers for the slapstick and dramatic numbers for the drama, and fits the general mood switches of the movie scenes. Then there's the cast themselves, Tim Curry, as marvelous as always, playing the cryptic butler Wadsworth, and I know fans of his work definitely regard him as having the top MVP performance of the film. And while I agree with that, let's not forget the other cast members who each put a piece of their acting puzzles on the table to finish the big puzzle of acting, if you catch my drift. From Christopher Lloyd's Wacky Professor to Leslie and Warren's Snarky Scarlet, all the performances in the film here are genuinely humorous and it keeps you laughing throughout, waiting for more. Definitely a must watch if you haven't seen it already, and if you haven't, please go see it. It's terrific, and it could open up a long discussion on who done it given the multiple endings. And once again, 35th anniversary. Terrific. One line is the Western wonder, and I hope you joined today's review. I'll return next week with a double movie holiday review, so stay tuned to my social media to find out what I will be reviewing then. So, in the meantime, I hope everyone out there is staying safe, bundling up, and getting ready for the holiday season. And I'll see you all in the next one. Uh, I don't have a wife, so I'll just say my usual piece. <laughs> Western Wonder out.